and then I fell asleep and I wake up two weeks later out of a coma and I can ask my mom like, wait, it's like, where's Chase? Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Santagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For those of you uh, who would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Just send us your story and we'll get back to you. Today we are talking about, honestly, one of the scariest situations I think that a a person could imagine themselves in. Uh, We're talking to someone who reached out. The subject line was horrific car accident survivor. And he's here to talk about uh, surviving this terrible accident, uh, which claimed the life of his brother. So we've got the guest on. Uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, you know, choosing us as the platform to talk about this. We know that it is not easy to relive scenarios like this and, and chat about it. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. Yeah. And so this, this topic terrifies me. I'm, I'm like, I drive a decent amount and I'm just scared all the time driving. Uh, and you know, you hear stories like this, or sometimes even you're driving and you pass what look like horrible accidents. I don't know how many of us know people that have actually been affected in that way. And then in this case, you know, being with a sibling, a loved one, uh, that does not survive the thing that you survived. So to kick this off, uh, can you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, prior to this accident, you know, what was that day like, what was happening? Uh, and you could tell us a little bit about your brother as well. So my name is Scott. Um, it was really a normal day. My younger brother was named Chase. He was very, very good at playing basketball. He had multiple scholarships up, up in, up in Maine to play. And I think New Hampshire, he got invited to a Valentine's day party about like three, maybe like three and a half years ago now. And it was kind of a very normal, I mean, he was like a party animal, so it was normal for him. Like, he went out a lot, so I'm going out with him. And I'm getting completely obliterated. I don't I don't really drink. I'm a smoker. I smoke weed. So I'm getting really drunk. And one of the last things I remember saying to him was, nigga, I am fucked up. And then there's leaning out of the car, throwing up. And then they'll be putting on the seatbelt. I didn't get my North Face because it was in the middle of February and it's freezing. So I'm from the Cape or Cape Cod. So we were out in Boston. And then I fell asleep and I wake up two weeks later out of a coma. And I can ask my mom, like, wait, so like, where's Chase? And then she was like, yeah, he passed away. And I, like, there was no real way of breaking down, like, any worse than I already was because I was so broken. Like, I didn't, I didn't know my back was broken yet. I didn't know about my ankles, but. In the car accident, I broke two vertebrae. I lacerated my spinal cord. I shattered both my ankles. I fractured the left side of my face and broke three ribs. And then I was stuck in the car for about like 25 to almost 30 minutes while I was on fire. Jesus. What, what ended up happening? Yeah. Like with the, like who was driving and, you know, is there a story about like why you guys crashed? So, like I said, I was I was asleep. And my brother was driving. When we left, I mean, my my brother was a young, light skinned, very good basketball player. So, I mean, when it came to girls, it was I mean, I don't kid was kind of a hoe, but like he did his thing. It was it was cool. So I thought we were going to a girl's house almost the entire night. It was one 
bunch of people that he knew from school that also got invited to like this big it was at it was at some club out in Boston. So I thought we were going back to some girl's house, one of his condos, and come to find out it was one of his or his kind of like his girlfriend at the time. She she had called him like, hey, come over. So he came there. So we decided to leave Boston in the case about like an hour away. And we were like 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes away from our house when we crashed. And I was asleep, so I had no idea. But there was a message on Lindsay's phone, the girl he was dating. that, And it sounded like nothingness, almost like he was trying to call and he dropped the phone. And it was like on the ground. And then you can hear like a lot of commotion and like someone's like rubbing something against like, like the like the microphone of the phone. And then it's just nothingness. So kind of what my hypothesis was is that he was trying to call her since there was some kind of message left. And I think he dropped his phone because the way that we crashed, it's like a long sweeping right turn. If you go straight instead of turning, you hit a huge concrete wall and sign. And that's exactly what we did. It's like we kind of went off of the um, like that little like shoulder. It's almost like a little edge and it's like a tiny little bump. So if we hit it doing almost 70 miles an hour and then we went airborne hit like the very top of the concrete and then the car flipped into the sign. And what's even crazier about that is that it was about four in the morning. One of my buddies was driving home with his girlfriend to Valentine's Day. And he actually saw the whole thing because he almost hit him, but it's not really a busy road. So it's kind of insane that he even saw it happen. He called the police like two or three times and show up for like a, well, like a half hour. He has a couple of videos that he showed me because I wasn't really too, too close to them before. I knew of him because we're from the same town, but we ended up working for the same company. So I, one day I was like, hey, his name's Brendan. But like, I was like, hey, Brendan, like, you, I, someone told me that you had some videos or something about like, things like, yeah, man, I know if you're ready to watch them, but I saw him if you want to see him. And you can hear him in the background, like, what the fuck? I've called, I've called the cops like two times already. It's been almost like 20 minutes. Like, I don't know what the fuck to do because you can see the car like all smashed up and on fire in the background he had he had no idea that it was me and my brother wow so it's kind of just yeah so you chose to watch those videos yeah it it was about a year a year after it happened and i've i've done some therapy not not really a lot but i've done some therapies i've a lot i had a lot of survivor's guilt even though i wasn't driving but like it just didn't really make much sense. Like why, why did I survive? And he didn't, he had so much more going for him. Yeah, man. No, I mean, that's, you know, one of the, the big topics that we want to touch on with this conversation, because it seemed like you were really close with him and, you know, just to essentially have no clue what's happening in the moment. And I think you said two weeks later, just waking up to find out this news. Can you just describe that survivor's guilt a little? Is it something that just hit you immediately when you found out? Did it sort of build up over time? And and what is that feeling exactly, if if you can describe it? It's really built up. It, it really built up over time. Like when I was still in the hospital, I was so messed up. They had me on dilated and stuff like your body, like in just like seven to 10 times stronger than methadone. So I didn't really know what was happening. I remember like begging the doctor, like, oh, can I please go? And, like the wake is tomorrow and the funeral is like the next day because it was right before COVID. And like the doctor like was looking like I was crazy. Like, stop, are you, are you serious? Like you damn near on life support. And like, I was still very, very loopy, but it's more just, just like I feel guilty that I somehow survived 
because I'm completely fine. Like if you looked at me, you'd have, you have no idea that I have all this metal in my body and that it's just, so it's like really just like, I feel like in a way like he kind of made sure that like, okay, well, like I'm already gone and kind of like cradled me and made sure I was okay. And my recovery was extremely quick, but like, that's kind of what brings on most of the survivor's guilt, even though I don't exactly have a lot to do with it. Yes. I drank with him and I didn't know he'd come all the way back. I think I could have done more. And at the end of the day, it's not exactly my fault. So it's kind of hard to go back and forth between trying to be realistic and then going with like what my gut feeling is, how I feel with everything kind of after the fact or how hindsight can be 2020. It's just, it can, it can be a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, and also I'm kind of curious of like what your reaction was just for yourself, like waking up two weeks later, like, what is that feeling like in itself? Like you knew that you knew that you were in a car accident or you didn't know at that point you were just kind of confused about where you just woke up oh i had no fucking clue what the my my first memory was them saying cough 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 and then them pulling a tube out of my throat that was like i it was almost like a cartoon because i couldn't believe how long it was but it was my breathing and my feeding tube from when i was in a coma so it was that and then for the first two or three days i have zero memory and then about for about four days after that, it got fuzzy. So it was more like when I first came back, I had no fucking clue what happened. And then this was three days after I woke up. I can asking my mom, wait, where's Chase? And then her telling me, stop, I can't, I can't keep telling you this. And me being like, what do you, what do you mean you can't keep telling you this? And then my mom, because my mom's like my only two. And she's like, and she was like, what do you, She's doing that saying, like, what do you mean? Like, and then she asked me what I was doing that day. So I told her what I ate that morning, what I did. And like, she was almost like amazed because it was almost like a, like, I don't know, both of you guys are on my age. So like, that's so Raven, like when she like, opens her eyes and kind of like zooms portal in, it was almost like that me coming back. And I was like, oh shit, I'm Scott. Like it. And then her telling me like what happened to him. And then like, it was it was just like, it was almost like I was in a very, very bad dream because I still didn't understand, like, why am I in this bed? Why can't I move? Why am I covered in IVs? Like, what? Like, where am I? Mm. And then that's when she was like, yeah, no, Chase, Chase passed. But sorry, you can go ahead. No, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, what were some of the effects immediately after? Because from everything you're telling us, it seems like it's a miracle that you survived. You said you were sitting in the car for 20 minutes while it was on fire. Uh, did yeah, and you said, I guess that there's a bunch of metal in your body now. So, uh, what was your recovery and you know, what was the, uh, the damage that was inflicted on you? So we got in the car accident. Um, as soon as the cops showed up, they found my brother or been found, but they saw my brother obviously in the driver's seat. Um, the whole engine came through the dashboard and it was almost like laying on top of him. And then when they found me, I was in the back seat covered in the wiring harness and a bunch of like the dash plastic pieces. And this was because I met the cop on like the first year anniversary because I was, I went there, like I went to the crash at like 4 a.m. Same time that happened. And the cop actually pulled over and was like, hey, I just want to let you know, so be careful close to the road. There's like a bad accident here about a year ago. And I was like, yeah like duh it was it was me i'm here to i'm here to like just kind of warn my brother 
And the cop kind of sat and looked at me for a second. And I was like, uh, this is awkward. And then he was like, yo, no, I'm, I'm actually the one who showed up in first. And then I ended up pulling his brother out of the car. And I was like, sir, you know who I am? Hmm. And he was like, no. And I was like, you damn near saved my life. I don't know if you know that. And then like, he kind of looked at me because I don't think he expected me to even be walking. Or like, I'm, my forehead is very burnt. Some of my shoulders are burnt and my arms burnt. But my face is still good. Thank God that my moneymaker is okay. But like... <laughs> But like it's like he couldn't kind of believe it. Like gave him a big ass hug, and for a guy to a guy to give a hug is kind of weird. <laughs> but like, but so that and then so I shattered both my ankles, and I broke my left ankle like six times, and my right ankle I think five times. I have ten screws and two plates in both my ankles, so it's I can I can still walk and everything just fine. My balance sucks. Like I can be standing still and it feels like I'm on a hill. But I can still walk and do everything just fine. Like I said, I'm in great shape. Um, I broke my back. I so it was one vertebrae was broken a lot worse than the other one. And then when they went in for my back surgery, it was supposed to be a three and a half hour back surgery, which to me sounds long as shit. And then when they went in, they couldn't find my spinal cord. So it came out until my parents they were gonna close me up and try to figure out what to do. And then my parents freaked out. I was like, no, you guys need to figure the fuck out. And that three and a half hour surgery turned into a 12 hour surgery because they found my spinal cord in my hip. What the fuck? I don't, I don't, I don't understand how even like I can move and I have feeling just from like basic knowledge of that kind of shit. But I, I don't know. My, my surgeons must've been really fucking good. You said your spine was in your hip? My spinal cord they found in my hip. Jesus, I didn't even know that. I thought that if the spinal cord was gone, like, that's it. Like, yeah, I, yeah, wow. yeah. Either it was pieces of it or it was it. That's why I thought as soon as you lose some kind of spinal fluid, you're all done. So right. There's, there's no coming back from that. Well, so, luckily, none of us are doctors. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, thank God. Thank God. So, you, uh, so out, like, aside from some burns and like, you know, a little bit of, you know, a balance issue, you don't really have any like, big injuries that you carry around every day no besides getting sore every single day and when i get up like my body kind of sounds like a swing set hmm. yeah. like my ankles like they hurt if you look at them there's two enormous scars at each side of them but they're just they're just bigger and like i said they just they just get very sore after a day because I, I landscape now only because I've been doing it for so long. It's kind of the best way for me to make money. But that, and even with my back, my back just gets sore. Mm-hmm. And like, it, and like when I start moving around in the morning, like you can hear almost like the metal creaking, almost like the swing set. It sounds disgusting, but that's the only way I can describe it. That's like a miracle. That's crazy. But you know, when it comes to uh, your relationship with your brother, like, you know, how do you, how would you describe that? Like now, like what is your relationship with what happened that night and just kind of, you know, uh, where are you at in this sort of recovery from it mentally? Uh, I've, I've definitely recovered from it. It's, I, I go to his grave all the time and see him, but it's, it's just hard because we have the same dad, but different moms. So I feel like they don't really like, I don't know. Just, I just have a weird relationship with them. That's what kind of makes it a little bit harder, hmm. but I don't know. It just it's just hard. I just miss him a lot. You, I, not sure if you alluded to this. I know 
you got super drunk. Was he drinking that night that he was driving? Yeah, he was because on the police report, they have to have, even though he passed away, they still get his um, toxicity level. And he was, and he was overboard. Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but he, he was over like a point away or whatever it is in Massachusetts. How does that sort of, you know, play into like the recovery process as well? Because it just seems like, I mean, there's so many cases where it's like, if there was the decision not to drink, it couldn't have happened. But then it's just, you know, I just could imagine your mind racing. Like if that girl didn't call him to come over or if we didn't go to this party or, you know, it's like, how do you just even begin to comprehend that? Yep, that's exactly, it's almost released back to the survivor's thing. Only because it's like, I don't, I, I never really was the one to drink. Like, yeah, I'll go down a couple of shots and I'd be feeling it. Like, in such a lightweight. But like, it just really hurts. You know, like, if I just didn't drink that night, if I took it to you that night, instead of being all, I'm pretty sure I was all in my feelings about something. I forget what, but I know if I'm not, it's, it's just not important now. But, it just hurts a little bit more because so I could have done something, but hindsight's sometimes twenty twenty. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. That's for sure. But um, just to kind of piggyback off of you know what Joe said, um, you know obviously your ability to talk about this, um, you know even just inject humor into the conversation. Like obviously that doesn't take away from how much you miss your brother and how terrible the situation is. But, you know, what are some of the things that you've done to get to this point, um, to just move forward? Um, because as someone who, you know, hasn't experienced this level of trauma or someone passing away that way, uh, it just feels so hard to imagine like ever getting to the point of like moving on and living life again. So, you know, what are, what are some of the things that helped you to get to this point? Really, the biggest thing was that he hated to see me upset or like ever in my feelings or anything like like that ever. Like, yeah, they, they like generally if like it really genuinely affected him to see me any kind of upset. So I know he wouldn't want to see me upset now. Like what what's happened happened and it sucks. You know, it really does suck. But I think if anybody want to see me at least try to live my life, it would it would be him. And I have a very very good support system. Like I said, like my mom is my homie. Like I, I have really good sisters. I have a great girlfriend. So it's really just like I'm blessed just to be alive. Like I, like the, the doctor told my mom like before I was even like really out of my coma that I was going to most likely be retarded because of all the smoke I inhaled, and I probably wouldn't walk again because of how bad my ankles and legs were, and or my back. And I mean I'm not retarded and I'm pretty foolish, but like I'm walking and I'm talking. So it's like, I, I kind of beat the odds. So I can, I can choose to be sad at times, but I feel like I'm very much entitled to the pain that I feel, but I don't know, you, just, you just have to live life. I know, I know he would have definitely wanted me to, and you just have to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's just like a, it, it's a, it's a crazy thing to kind of go through. And like, I don't think that a lot of people sort of have that, you know, perspective that you have. So I, I also am kind of interested in, uh, you know, coming out of this where you do feel like, wow, it's a miracle. Like, does that change the way that you live your life? Like, is it a big difference in the way that you view like the world and what you want to do with your life, like coming out of something like this? I, I wish I could say something like 
really cool, but it's not, it's, I really just kind of kept, kept on living my life and kept moving. I mean, it definitely put a big, like a big halt where I wasn't doing anything. I mean, I, I was in a wheelchair for five months and like even everything around it, like once I was out of my wheelchair, one of my little sister's schoolmates, I think was in a wheelchair and he was like way too big for it. And giving them my old wheelchair, except like I got a sick fucking wheelchair. Like it was purple. I had like the cambered wheels on it. They were spoked up. Like, like it was a racing wheelchair. But, <laughs> and like, so now, so I know when that came into school the next day, like it was ill. So it's like little things like that. And just to know that I, I, I do my best to be positive. It isn't really like I have to try. It's kind of like, I'm fortunate to still like remember who I am and still be who I am. But I don't think I've changed even after hitting my head so hard with like, I had like a, I had a concussion for like a couple of months, they said. So I had to do like all the physical therapy shits. But it's like, I've, I just came such a long way to where it's, I have no reason to really be upset. And just, I've kept on living my life is kind of the same way I did before. I wasn't really doing anything too crazy. Do you feel any type of way when you like get into a car now? I did for like, so they let me out of, so first I was in the hospital and then let me out of the hospital to a brain rehab. And I was only in the brain rehab for like nine or 10 days before they sent me home. So it was right before COVID. So they were kind of like, like ushering me out in a way, trying to be, okay, well, okay. Like, I was strong enough to live on my own. I just basically, me, okay, you're going to have to be in a wheelchair, but you can do these things on there. So when like the ride at home sucked, um, even having to get in the car, like I said, for the first like month, it was really weird. But that's just, like the really the only anxiety I felt is just it was really weird even sitting passenger seat in the car and once I was driving. But I'm completely fine now. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, <laughs> it's uh, inspiring to hear though. Just that, in a way, you know, just by living your life, you're honoring your brother and really taking into consideration how upset it would make him you know, to, to see you down. So it's really cool to hear. And, you know, a support system is for sure everything. So we're happy that you're still here, uh, for sure. A miracle with everything that you just said. And, uh, it's just inspiring. I think helpful, you know, for a lot of people to hear because this is, uh, just an insane trauma and, you know, a crazy loss. And we're sorry that you had to go through all of this. Yeah. Thanks. Me too. But I'm still here, so at least I can make the most of what's going on. Like, it's really cool talking to you guys about it because, like, even when I was still in the hospital, they gave me back my phone. And, like, I was, I remember watching, like, this is back when it was, I think, Joe and Danny. And I remember you guys still doing your thing, too. But, like, I remember watching you guys, like, while I was in the hospital. And I never would think that I could, that I'd be here talking to you guys about it. It's kind of wild. That's crazy how that works when you think about it. Yeah, that is. Well, we we yeah. we appreciate hey. you coming on, man, and talking to us. Uh, like that's a that's a life changing thing, like to kind of go through. And you're you seem to be just like crushing it. And it's not even that long ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, just I've I've known also a lot of people that have gotten less than half of like you know what I mean like they they haven't gotten as hurt as I have, and they still aren't living normally. Someone mm-hmm. is very just blessed to be able to like get up and be normal and not have to worry about like okay like, I can't walk there so I'm in a wheelchair I can get up like I'm big I'm strong like I've been to the gym I look just fine I'm doing I'm doing good so it's just came a long way and I'm just very thankful for it. 
Love the confidence too. <laughs> but um, Thanks, man. no, man, it's uh, I think just just hearing your attitude and, you know, you share the story and, uh, you know, just having fun in this conversation alone uh, is, is really going to help a lot of people who, you know, are experiencing any sort of trauma loss or, you know, just trying to pick themselves back up. So can't thank you enough for reaching out. And uh, we really appreciate it. And obviously wish you the best of luck with everything. Of course. And thank you for having me. And you know, everybody is, you can do it. Even if it seems hard as shit, just keep trying. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate you. Thank you too, Joe. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Have a good one. All right. Later guys. Bye. That dude is cool as fuck. It's just a cool dude. Yeah, like yeah, that's I I can't even imagine that man. And I, it's I appreciate his honesty too. When I ask the question, like, do you see life differently? He's like, not really. Like, I just do my thing. Like, I, yeah. and I get that. I feel like that's probably. I don't think that he realizes how sh- strong you have to be to be able to do that. Too. Just, like, just to get to yeah, that like, point, you know? yeah, to get to the point where you're like, yo, I'm just living my life now. I just have to do what I got to do. Like that takes a long time. Like you, like he was just alluding to some people, they never are the same after something like that mm-hmm. or they understandably ne- too. Yeah. But. Especially after all the fucking injuries and this and that, like dude, yeah. crazy. It's just, yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I was going to bring that up because you know, nothing against your question. It's a great question, but it's like, yeah, that's almost like, okay, like here's here's a really inspirational moment maybe, but that answer is actually the most inspirational because it's like, I'm just living life. Like, what was I really supposed to change? Like, if anything, I got back to the point and it's just like, doing good is good enough. Yeah. And that's like, uh, like, like you said, that's a point that a lot of people don't even reach. So really cool to hear. Um, I don't want to get preachy on this podcast, but man... Just be safe when you drive. Do not drink and drive. Please don't text and drive. Dude, it's so scary. Every time I'm walking, I like look into cars. Every single person is just texting. Yeah. It's insane. It's so dangerous. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, So yeah, be safe out there. Um, For anyone that wants to be a guest on our show, hit us up. Our our, uh, email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your email and we will get back to you. Yes, please reach out. We've talked to a lot of people who are like, you know, I thought about sending this for so long and then they finally did, you know, years later after listening and then they end up on the show. So you never know. Just send that email. We'll see what happens. And you can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at OPL podcast and uh, patreon.com slash OPL show. Yeah, I should know that, right? I think so. Patreon.com slash OPL show. That's definitely it. Uh, But that's all for this week. Yep. See you guys next time.